From the Middle Tennessee Association of Realtors, you're listening to Tenants in Common, a podcast sharing stories, motivation, and insight into the real estate industry. Tenants in common. We're here with Bill Jakes and President Christopher Wilson. We're going to have a fun conversation. I've got my little notes here because I've already been called a Yankee <laughs> because I come from Sumner County. So well, it's up north. Down, That's up north. Like Andrew Jackson around Old Hickory Boulevard so people would shoot me. Uh, but here I am. And I'm so thankful that you had the opportunity in your busy schedule oh. to come back. And chat with us. Well, I'm so thankful for the invite. Thank you. I appreciate it. And you brought us gifts. So the key to my heart's a gift. Oh, uh, yeah. I... And this this book is is amazing. When, when the recording wasn't on, he was telling us about the history. And so I'm going to give you the microphone to talk to us about this book. Well, I, 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 I don't mind telling you a little bit more about my latest creation, uh, this book. Is an interesting uh, little creation. I don't know why I'm calling it a creation, but uh, it, you know, when you say you published a book, you think I did something creative. What I really did here is creatively take a stash of letters that I found, and and a friend of mine helped me transcribe them, and I published them as they were written uh, in 1863. Um, it's really weird how they came into my possession, though. Uh, and, and this is an interesting real estate tidbit because this is a, a, a situation where personal property conveyed with real estate. Um, these letters were written by William Wendell and his father, David Wendell. His parents are here on the front cover of the book. That's, that's David Diedrich Wendell and uh, Sarah um, Keeble Wendell. And uh, anyway, they lived in the 100 block of North Spring Street during the Civil War. Uh, their house was literally next door to where Beckman's Drugs is right now. Okay. Um, right there. They lived right behind the public square, and they owned pretty much that whole plot of land. And what happened, apparently, is when the, uh, after the Battle of Stones River, when the Union Army occupied Murfreesboro, all the men, the, 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 the son, the dad, the brothers, either joined the war effort or were in hiding. They had to get out of town. The women... Uh, maintained their homes, and it just so happens that their home, their brothers that lived across the corners, their homes were all occupied by the Union Army and turned into headquarters. So this series of letters uh, that I found, there were 85 of them, uh, come back and forth between the mom and the dad and the sons and various cousins and uncles, and they're all from the time frame of 1863 during the occupation of Murfreesboro. So it gives you a really amazing portrait of what these families were going through during the Civil War. How did you find these? It's so crazy. Okay, so I bought my house in, that I'm currently living in, which I lived across the street literally for 10 years prior. When my family started growing, one of my neighbors was ready to move and said, you need this house. This is a perfect family house, and this is where you should move. And I said, well, let's strike a deal. Let's do that. And I had been living in the house for maybe a month, okay? And there, at a previous auction, when the house had sold, they'd emptied the contents. The, the previous family, prior to the guy who sold it to me, had been there for 50 plus years. 
two generations of family. Folks that bought it before me had only been there for a couple of years. They bought it at auction. During the auction, they emptied the contents of the house, and sold everything that they had in it, right? Except for a bunch of old Christmas decorations. And when I bought the house and did the tour of it, I said, don't worry, leave all that junk. I'll clean it out when I have time, right? So, uh, so fast forward, I've been living in the house for a few weeks. Told the wife, I'm going to get my flashlight and we'll go up in the attic and look at all these old-timey Christmas decorations and maybe I can find something to use and we'll, it'll be special. You know? uh, about 10 minutes into it, my flashlight hit this wooden box in the corner and uh, it, was, it was dovetailed on the edges and I'm like, ooh, I'm a woodworker. That means it's a special box, you know? And uh, I went over and pulled a piece of newspaper off. I dug my hand down in the middle and I pulled out a letter and I immediately noticed the stamp was weird. And I looked at it, and it's Jefferson Davis on the stamp. So I'm like, <laughs> I, I just found something really cool. So I grabbed the whole box, forget about the Christmas stuff, and head downtown, downstairs and uh, eventually realized what I had. It only took about an hour before I had the aha moment of exactly how these letters ended up in my house. So being a big history buff of Murfreesboro, um, I have all this old photo collection of Murfreesboro. And, and one of my favorite buildings on the corner of Main Street and Church Street was the old Barton and Ridley block. And uh, there was Henry's florist there, as long as I remember. He bought that building in the early 70s. One of the most prominent, beautiful buildings on the square. Well, I have an old picture of it that used to say Wendell Drugs across the side. Wendell Drugs sold to A.L. Smith in 1909. And it was A.L. Smith's drugstore, one of the longest standing businesses on the square. It just so happens the house I live in belonged to the son of A.L. Smith. And Herbert, the son, uh, had run the store when they shut it down in 1970 and they finally retired the business. Okay. So... Uh, these letters are from the Wendell family. They obviously left them in the drugstore when they sold in 1909. And when Herbert shut the, shut the business down, he had an addition built onto our house. And in the attic were these letters. So when he retired, he brought them home and he stashed them in his new attic. And there they were left for me to find. And uh, what a stash it was, really. So David Diedrich Wendell, the guy on the front of the cover here, a lot of the documents were his. There were more than just the letters. He was a uh, county court clerk. He was, he was a really prominent citizen that was involved with local government. His father was the second mayor of Murfreesboro, kind of helped set up the local government. So they were really involved with all the prominent families in town and, and businesses. And so there's just this massive stash of paperwork. But the book, anyway, focuses on the 85 letters during the Civil War, and I thought those were the most important to kind of get out there. That is absolutely amazing. Now, would you call it the Civil War or the War of Northern Aggression? <laughs> it's Civil War. It yeah. was Civil War. I, I, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I published a previous book in 2006, and one of the things I learned at the time was you always use the same terminology throughout the book. And so I called it, I called it the uh, war between the states at that time. Oh, I forgot about that. And one. stuck yeah. with it because it seemed, because there wasn't nothing civil going on. No, it's very true. <laughs> it's, a, it's another one of those uh, semantics kind of things, you know, and, and you're right, actually. The, the question about that, you know, you say it almost facetiously, but it's, it's one of those things that 
it's still a debated, uh, you know, uh, topic. Oh, it is. So. It is. I mean, now, honestly, you know, if you want to look at the perspective of the people who were living here, they felt invaded. They felt that this army had come to them and brought the fight to them uh, in their daily life. So, you know, it is it is difficult to put yourself in someone else's shoes, but by reading their own words, it, it kind of puts you there a little bit. And we kind of take that granted for granted for being Tennesseans because we get little smatterings of Civil War uh, stories, whether it be in history class or just driving around and anywhere mm -hmm. in the state of Tennessee, you're within an arm's reach of something that happened. Mm -hmm. And for those that are moving into Murfreesboro from out of the state or country, and um, even for those uh, here, I mean, it's amazing the stories that center around this special geographic part of the state. Mm -hmm. It's hard to fathom, really. But you know, one of the things we boast about Middle Tennessee is probably the exact reason this was such an important area. You know, we're we're eight miles, or uh, we're within an eight-hour drive of you know seventy-five or eighty percent of the population of the United States. So this is a, it's a key hub area, you know, and, and that's exactly it was a supply depot uh, stop. The railroad had just been built through this area a few years prior, and. So it's tactically an important an important place that did really turn the tide of the war. Um, it just so happens uh, right after the Battle of Murfreesboro that the North got repeating arms as well. They 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 actually got shell casings and guns that could fire multiple times. So uh, anyway, the, you know the tourism dollars that come into Murfreesboro to this day because of that Civil War history is still pretty massive. Well, also you know one of the things that. I'm a huge history buff. I love it. I I, um, I have come to hear you speak at the Historical Society and different things because I, I do, if anybody ever wants to or has ever said, you know, I'd love it if Chris quit talking, have Bill be across the table. I'll sit here and just listen all day. <laughs> um, but, uh, um, but, you know, I some things I didn't know and, and it was weird where you'll find out things. There's a walking through the courthouse. We had a we had a meeting with a few of the commissioners and, and Mayor Ketron and and to talk about those development tax things. And, and when I was walking through the courthouse and reading some of the banners, you're finding out that Murfreesboro and Tennessee parts of it swapped, you know, sides a couple times, or at least at least one swap back and forth, you know, between the Confederacy and the Union Army and, and what side they were going to take based on. And if you correct me if I'm wrong, it was on a couple votes at one point in time. Yeah. Made the difference about what they did. It was like yeah. one or two votes. There was there was definitely there was no consensus. Mm -hmm. This was a split issue that I mean, and it was more than just Tennessee. It was it was a lot of states that that just, you know, didn't want it to be involved. And quite frankly, slavery was not something that a lot of people cherished, you know. It was it was considered by a lot of the church members to be wrong and to be terrible and you know, um and this family in particular, obviously a prominent family, obviously owned slaves. But it's really, you know, I don't want to be an apologist for the horrors of the South during this era, but it's very enlightening to read the terms of affection when they refer to these folks, uh, when they refer to their servants. They never use the terminology slave, obviously. But, but William, the son who's off at war at 18 years old, every letter in here where he writes home, he says, send my love to Joshua. And I figured out finally that Joshua was one of the family slaves that was his age. He begs his family to send Joshua to be with him so that he can help them cook and because they have a terrible cook and Joshua's such a better cook. And 
you know, just, it's just crazy to grasp, you know. And so I'm one of these people that think the more you know, the better uh, you can decipher things. And so I just felt like that's, that's part of why this was so important to share. What know? did you discover at the end of your journey with these letters? <sighs> Where did it lead, really? I, I maybe just a better understanding of some of the founders of our town. Uh, these folks uh, were merchants in East Tennessee, uh, had been there since uh, before Franklin County was created in North Carolina, and, and it became Tennessee later after the Watuga thing, the convention. Um, but the, the merchants came to this town very early on. Uh, even my Kelton ancestors that I mentioned in a previous podcast, they came here to set up shop, to, to do business. Uh, and, and so... Uh, and a lot of places in Tennessee look like their Irish and Scottish homelands. Yeah, this family uh, actually was of German descent, uh, but you know, obviously, you know, most of this area was settled by by Irish descent, and uh, of course, a lot of it is because of who fought where during the Revolutionary War. I mean, most of this area uh, was was divvied up as land grants to soldiers who had fought in the Revolutionary War. Not many of those folks who got the land grants actually moved onto the land. As a matter of fact, uh, um, the Murphy that uh, the town's named after, he, his kids came here, but he never, he, he lived in Williamson County and is buried in Williamson County, so. Um, but but uh, yeah, the history really, it's all founded around war, it unfortunately. 24,000 <laughs> young souls were killed oh, yeah. here in Murfreesboro. Yes, and that's a great point. I actually even thought about bringing that up because in contrast to the 24,000 casualties, the population of this town was roughly 3,000 at the time. It's crazy. So how are you going to deal with 24,000 casualties when there's three or 4,000 of you? And, and I was reading when I was trying to get ready to be able to speak articulately with you is that some of the bodies that were interred were dug back up and moved and some went to the evergreen cemetery yeah the mass grave in evergreen cemetery was essentially four or five other burying grounds uh, one of them most notably was out south church street uh, near where jennings and Ayers funeral home is there across from the street from where the post office is i found the deeds for that cemetery i've researched that one that was one of the the, the cemeteries that was you know, dug up and reinterred in the Confederate Circle. And so Confederate Circle in, in uh, Evergreen is essentially a huge mass grave. Um, another, if you read John Spence's diaries from the Civil War era, he lived where a popular title company is, Lawyer's Land and Title. The Spence house was, was that house. Okay. And right next door was the uh, Sewell College, a women's college that the uh, Union Army used as a hospital and he writes in his diaries that there was a mass grave of Confederates out in the backyard of that school next door. And so there's another one that was dug up and reinterred. So sad, sad stuff, you know. The um, so much importance here in Murfreesboro, geographic center of the state, uh, was originally named Cannonsburg. That's uh, yes, that is the, that's the history as we know it. Um, there's some debate on okay. that topic, uh, but I'm no expert on that. So I, I've just, I'm just a listener when it comes to those debates. I try to learn all I can. Chris was sharing with me, take us to Jamestown. 
Oh, Jakestown, okay. <laughs> well, you know, East Main Street's kind of the most prominent part of town, but if you travel on down East Main Street and you get to an area where Bud Mitchell's store is, you might notice there's a Jake's Road, and not far from there, there's a Jake's Avenue, and that's actually where uh, my first ancestors in Rutherford County settled. Before that, they had been in Bedford County and uh, moved here about five generations ago uh, and, and settled out that area. And if you look at the old maps from the 80s and 90s, it was, still, it was still on the old maps when they still made paper travel maps, you know. Uh, that area was known as and called Jakestown. I still thought that was the coolest thing when you showed me one of the maps that you had. That, you yeah. had that, that That's pretty cool. Like that, that shows you the... The lineage of it. You said something in our, our previous episode that I, I made a note on because I wanted to ask you about it. We were talking about the different ages for the historical uh, tax abatement kind of thing. And you talked about up, upwards of 150 years. Right. Are you are there still houses standing? And, and if so, like what, what's the prominence of those? And, and can you tell us anything about some of that? Absolutely. We do still have a, quite a good number of antebellum homes in the downtown area. And, and a few around the county scattered about. There's some in Blackman, uh, some out. Uh, you know, we've lost a lot of them, obviously, through the years uh, because of development. But, uh, you know, probably the greatest concentration is downtown Murfreesboro. If you, if you go along North Academy Street, um, there's the Woman's Club. There's Miss Alice Ray's home. Across the street from her is another one. Uh, corner of Burton and Academy, there's a string uh, all the way through there of homes that are over 160 years old now that were all witnesses to uh, the Civil War. It's just, uh, it's amazing. One of the things that I've always enjoyed about um, living in some of the, the southern states or even then if you go get to visit like the north or northeastern states is the historical aspect of it, the the architectural differences, the just the stories honestly behind it. And that's, I think, one of the things for me, at least personally, the reason I love history so much is the storytelling aspect of it. So much of our uh, society and culture originated, uh, originated around people being able to share stories of, of what happened. And now we're blessed enough to be able to have things like books and, and things that, that, you know, but but it was storytelling. That was a big part of it. So, Not to forget, too, Oakland's mansion that is down there at the end of Manny Avenue. That was that was freshly remodeled right before the war broke out. And, uh, you know, there was encampments there. The Union Army camped. The uh, Michigan troops camped on the lawn there. And uh, uh, there was a battle there. You know, forest raids started there right off of Highland. And so the, the history's deep. And I tell you, as a side note, one of my hobbies that I like to dabble with over the, over the years is, is metal detecting. I was just going to ask you about this. And so that's, yes. on, that's on my notes, Yo, too. Yeah, he's big at it. So he says dabble. He's, he's being modest. He's, he well, I got, cool I, got, I got mostly uh, into it really hard during uh, when they were building Medical Center Parkway. I, I, I got to do what I call scavenger archaeology. You know? So, you know, you don't really want to disturb relics that are in the ground for the sake of history. You leave as much there as you can. But when I know a site's going to be developed, when, when it's going to be taken out it's of context and potentially lost forever, that's when I really love to go. So I've gotten permission from a lot of these developers through the years and went and dug just tons and tons of relics uh, from the Civil War. And the thing is, all over downtown, you know, that Oakland's plantation, even in yards of neighbors, I find this stuff everywhere. I mean, it was just littered. The, these relics were littered all throughout our town. And 
and still exist. People are digging stuff up every day. And we've got some empty bookshelves right here if you want to. Yeah, <laughs> put on a little display. A little display. <clears throat> well, let me ask you because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, there's a story behind even when they did some work at the Oakland mansion. Mm-hmm. about when they were having to dig up something, some pipes or whatever it was, they were having to do some excavating. Weren't you part of the group that got permission to go out there and, I and did. dig in that? I, it was, that was, I did a find. I was on the board at Oakland's uh, for a number of years, and we approved a drainage project where we were getting the water from the gutters of the home. Uh, to We were going to dig a pipeline so that it would run out towards the wetlands instead of the water being around the foundation. You, we all know yeah. as realtors how oh, yeah. that's a bad thing. So. Uh, while we were moving dirt, I approached the board and I said, please let me do some metal detecting because we could potentially take relics out of context, which the archaeologists can't do anything with that. So while I was doing it, uh, metal detecting, I found a, uh, a half dollar that was like 1797 or something like that. And it was in beautiful condition. Of course, donated it to Oakland's. Everything that was found that day went back into Oakland's collection and and they have it as part of their permanent collection. What are some of the other things that you found that you just, you know, that you geek out a little bit? Like, yeah, what, yeah. what are some of, the, some of the stuff that you found that's yeah. really cool? One of my favorites ever was, was when they were building the hotels right next to the interstate off of Medical Center Parkway. Uh, I had been hunting that area every day I got chance. And one day, I had a, a, like a two-hour break for lunch, and I just went out and just started hitting the dirt and uh, ended up digging a hole about two feet deep for this signal that I just couldn't get to. And it turned out to be a six pound Confederate cannonball. Every time I get on the interstate or get off the interstate, I look at that spot where I found that cannonball, you know? So if you go to the Stones River battlefield, are you, will, are you allowed to take a metal detector? Absolutely not. Okay. Yeah, absolutely not. They're big, yeah. If you get caught metal detecting on federally protected land, not only can you be fined and jailed, they'll take your your truck, they'll take your metal detector, they'll take, they'll confiscate everything. It is highly illegal. I've never done it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, but it's a good question though, because people hear about it sometimes and they, you know, with little knowledge, we'll go out and just start doing it. And with this kind of stuff, you do have to be very careful because even even if it's not federally protected, a lot of times it's privately owned, and and therefore you have you know you have other issues there too. So the Wesson protected. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> there's a lot of that around here. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and and uh, yeah, trespassing's a big no-no, and digging other people's land is a, is truly a big no-no. And and sadly, uh, not many people recognize. A lot of folks will just go out and start digging, and it's that's just not the way to do. It. Well, like you said though, too, there's an aspect to that. You know, the respect for history, and you know, if it's un, you know, altered, un, you know, tampered with uh, dirt, it, it, that's probably not the place to do it, anyways. All of yours, and you and I've had this conversation because I was really intrigued by it. You got special permission from developers on land that they were about to be, bring big earth movers out. And none of that stuff would have been there still. That's right. I mean, and I still try to take it to the next level too. Instead of collecting this stuff by condition or how cool a piece is, I always box it based on the location. I put latitude, longitude numbers on the box, trying to preserve it for history's sake. I will never, ever, and I have never sold a relic. I, I don't believe in it. I don't think we should trade relics like that. You know, it's not something that people should be buying and selling. It's it's part of our history. We kind of all own it, and, and it's my plan and my hope that, you know, when I'm done with it, my kids will see that it's donated to the right place. And, and we may have a, a Murfreesboro Museum. The courthouse is finally our first uh, 
step towards a, a local museum. Uh, current Mayor Ketron uh, helped turn the ground floor of the courthouse into a Murfreesboro Museum recently. So. Is the courthouse that's on the square, is, was that the state capital? Is no. that Okay, where no. was the state capital? The state capital, when it was, when it was here, uh, well, the courthouse was here. It burned during that time, and they met in the Presbyterian Church. Presbyterian Church was where the old city cemetery is now on Vine Street. And that was originally the Presbyterian Church and burying ground. And then uh, during the Civil War, that church was dismantled. Uh, the building materials were used. A lot of the bricks and things were used to make chimneys for the little huts that the Union troops had all around the square. I mean, they scavenged this town pretty hard. So it was literally, they took a whole church down for its materials in that case. Um, I have a feeling there's some karma there somewhere. I'm like, I don't know what it is. But I don't know if I'd be brave enough to do that one. So. Actually, uh, speaking of that, uh, the front room of the Wendell's home was used as a meeting hall for the state legislature during the time that Murfreesboro was the capital. So, so these people's house was also one of their meeting places. And where is this house? If, so, if I wanted yeah. to just go see the location, is that... It's a 123 North Spring Street. So if you were standing, uh, essentially, what, that, that's like, uh, uh, well, Beckman's is the landmark uh, there. You know, the Methodist church property that's under development, it's the block towards uh, Main Street from that Methodist church block there. So just behind the public square. I was also trying to get prepared for you. James K. Polk's wife was from Murfreesboro. Yes, yeah, Sarah Childress. Um, and the... the I mentioned one of the houses earlier, that, that row of antebellums, the, uh, I said Miss Alice Ray's house. It's on the corner of Academy and Lytle. That was, that's also known as the Childress House, and that was uh, owned by the fellow that uh, Sarah Polk, I think she was, married. Okay. That's awesome. And then Bradley Academy mm -hmm. ended up becoming a, uh, a black school and a black community center. Yes. But actually, that building was built many years later. The original Bradley Academy, where Andrew Jackson supposedly had some sort of classes, was uh, closer to where Walter Hill is today. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that's some, that's some history that, uh, you know, just kind of came about in the last decade that we figured out. A lot of folks believed for many years that it was where the current site of Bradley is, but, but that was added later. And that building was, was truly built for the black community. And... and Fortunately, is preserved and celebrated to this day. Yeah, Miss Ray Seddon. She mm -hmm. lived right over near MTSU uh, for for most of her childhood. Now, I'm not familiar with the sports writer Grantland Rice. Grantland's uh, oh, I can't think of his quote. It's it's not whether you win or lose, but how you play the game. Oh wow! Okay. Oh, well, there you go. That would explain why that came up in your search. <laughs> <laughs> and then the uh, the wife of General Douglas MacArthur. Yes, uh, Jean Faircloth. If you're sitting in my office, I feel like we're playing Jeopardy. Yeah, <laughs> I know, like seriously, he knows what I'm saying. He knows it all. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> if you're sitting in my office at the corner of Highland and Lytle, right across the street where the Rutherford Hospital used to sit. That's where the faircloth sat, right on the opposite corner from my office. And Gene, uh, Gene was born in uh, 1899, and she died in 2001. She Ooh. lived. She lived Holy in cow. three different 
centuries. And to think about, she went through electricity and that coming into Tennessee. And a lot of people just had one light bulb. And then you've got television and you've got air travel and all the She things. saw it all. Space it travel. All. Yeah. That's, that's, that, when you think about that, that part of it, that's pretty overwhelming almost like it, it really is about, over, like we, we sit here and we get excited about you know we're carrying a cell phone that was bigger than the you know has more capacity than the computer that sent us to space but to, to think about that you know you went through both world wars you went through you know like you said space travel like think, and people used to think that was like sci that was sci-fi that was like that was insane you know that was there was no so hard to imagine growing up with horse-drawn carriages. You know? One more question. Yeah, yeah. And you may have plenty. I'm enjoying I'm like, this. I'm geeking out. It's, oh, yeah. That's what I told you. It's, I, this is going to be dangerous because... It's, it's become Stump Bill Jakes here. Yeah, yeah. That's what it is, yeah. <laughs> Most fabled haunted place in Murfreesboro. Ooh. That's tough. That's a tough one. So I follow some of the ghost stories. I don't, I, I don't know that I could say which is the most haunted but there's a lovely story of, uh, of uh, Nancy Morris's house. She, Nancy lives at the corner of Manny and East Main Street. Yeah. Is, she, is she a spook or is she still living? She's still alive. Okay, so and, thank you, uh, Ms. Morris, for being here. Yeah, when she, alive. when she was remodeling her house in the 80s, she said that in the attic she found a pair of child's shoes by a, 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 a dormer ventilation area in the attic. Thought they were cool and moved the shoes and that very night she said she woke up to the smell of coffee and she thought somebody was brewing coffee or something and this coffee smell kept happening night after night and she couldn't figure it out well apparently she did some research and you she she, she read that coffee smell is uh is an indication that there are ghosts in your house and said that it really freaked her out. She found the shoes. She put the shoes back in the attic where they belong. Nope, I'm out. So sorry, Miss Annabelle. And every, oh, like, oh, Annabelle. <laughs> everything changed and it went back to normal. And I, I assume those shoes are still in those in that attic. I tell people all the time, if you see me running, don't ask questions, just join in. You would see me running. So. <laughs> I, I kind of want to see you run. Well, that's why it doesn't happen very often. Um, but... Uh, um, I actually do have a couple things before we before we do wrap up. You know, you do know so much about this, and, and we've had a lot of fun conversations. I enjoy every one of them because I do geek out on some of the history aspects of things. But do you have any, like, little factoids, little tidbits that you have found excessively interesting that just maybe aren't common knowledge, that aren't, you know, widely spread out there, but just for you, you're like, I'm kind of intrigued by this, like, for whatever reason? Any unknowns, you know, kind of things are, are you know... You'll hear about oh, the stories of like, you hear the rumor, but no one can quite prove what happened, you know, that kind of concept. Um, I'm sure there are dozens of things here that, that I'm probably not going to be able to recall right, right at the moment. Um, Who shot JR? I, I, I don't know, Bobby? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, the, 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 the world's largest cedar bucket is, is uh, something that... Uh, it burned. It was a relic that burned a few years back. They did rebuild it. It is now larger than the original one. They built it back slightly bigger so that we could have the brand new record. Um, nothing, nothing too special about that. It, the the bucket did appear in a World's Fair, and they filled it with beer and served <laughs> beer out of it. Was that the one in Knoxville? Uh, I don't think so. I, I but yeah, I'm I'm foggy on that detail. Um, 
Gosh, we hit a few of the statistics earlier that I find really amazing, like the casualties of the Civil War versus the population of the town. Just crazy. You know, by the time we got a hospital in this town uh, in, the, in the 20s, you know, there was still just five or 6,000 people living in the city of Murfreesboro. Even in the, I think it was 1970, there was only 30,000 people in the city of Murfreesboro. So now we're, we're up uh, 175, 200,000 people roughly, so... In Murfreesboro. In, in the city. In the actual city. Yeah, and that's what a lot of people don't realize. There was like, there's a lot of areas that are, that are kind of pseudo-county islands or county peninsulas that have Murfreesboro addresses, but they're not even counted in the, in the Murfreesboro population. So it's, it's actually quite a bit more extensive than that, even if you're in the immediate surroundings. So Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm sure I'm going to think of more tidbits as soon as I walk out of well, here. Like I said, we had a lot of conversation about it, and I, I, I do uh, appreciate it all. Give people a little bit, if they, want to, if they want to get your books. Oh, that's the other thing I do want to talk to you about. So this isn't your first one. You, I, have, I have one of your previous ones, which I'm hugely intrigued by because you actually did a collection of postcards. Yeah, I started collecting old Murfreesboro postcards many years ago, and about 2004 or five. I had the idea, I was actually traveling South uh, Charleston, South Carolina, and saw a book through Arcadia Publishing. It was based on historic postcards and the history of that town. I said, I really should do that for Murfreesboro, and contacted the publisher, and they agreed, and I put one together, published it in 2006. And quite frankly, if you want a lot of little tidbits and weird details, I filled that book with it, because I had a really set uh, sort of template that I had to go by with this publisher. And I was only allowed, you know, so many words per picture. So I really focused in on all those little tidbits and facts and, and numbers and statistics in there. Which so. is still one that I like to pull up and look at because yeah. there is a lot of neat little stuff. And some of the, like I said, the really old buildings, original buildings, some of the progression of some of the buildings. It's, it's amazing what postcards will actually, how they can tell you a story of an area. Yeah, pic picture postcards came into play around the turn of the century. About 1905 or 6 or the first real picture postcards we saw in Murfreesboro. Prior to that, they were just blanks. They were just a, a quick and easy communication method, you know. Uh, obviously, letter writing was very popular back in the day, and, and this was like a quick telegram sort of thing. But, but those pictures are, are, are wonderful, and, uh, you know, a lot of those buildings are long gone, and some of these postcards are the only images of, of some of the buildings that I've ever found. Well, where can people get them? If they want to get this book, if they want to take a look at that one, where are some places so, they can pick So my at? first one uh, that was published in 2006, just called Murfreesboro in Historic Postcards. And you can find that all around town. Most of the drugstores, corner CVSs and things like that carry it. You can find it at the Battlefield, Oakland's gift shop. Uh, it's readily available online. You can order it through Arcadia. You can even find it on eBay. A little different story with my current book. This is 100% self-published. Uh, I have not uh, put it in any stores locally. Uh, I, through Facebook, I have posted a couple of times a, uh, a, a PayPal link where you can buy one directly. I don't charge any shipping. They retail for $35, and I'll send one directly to you if you want to find that, uh, that PayPal link. Uh, or people can just reach out to me. Now, also, I've got them in the gift shop at Oakland's Historic House Museum. Uh, that's at 900 North Manny Avenue. I keep them stocked in there. I had some at Country Gourmet. I don't know that they have any more. So the best way to get a copy of this book is directly through me. Only a thousand copies, and that's all I plan to publish. 
Well, there you go. There's that. Well, one of the things that we're doing is our guest, you get, I'm going to hit you with three completely random questions. <laughs> First thing that comes off the head and then they just right. answer them and they, they'll, be a, they'll be a little bit different. Since we're talking about books, I'm going to actually do this one for you. What is a book or a couple books that you've read through, and maybe maybe we focus on the last you know 10 years of your real estate career that have been you know essentially um, highly beneficial for you that you recommend to maybe uh, someone new to entrepreneurialness or yeah. whatever it is? What, what's something you got? That's a great, great question. Well, in my young life, one of the most influential books I ever, ever read, it's still one of my top favorites, uh, is The Art of War, Sun Tzu. Uh, it's weird. You have to pick it apart and, and, and learn the lessons, but it's uh, very into Zen sayings and, and, and you know, thoughtful sayings and and there's a lot of knowledge hidden inside the Sun Tzu uh, teachings so so Art of Wars right up there at the very top of my list and uh, probably it's funny I did a little talk with the Murfreesboro Young Professionals last year they wanted me to come speak about a book and and I'll say probably for my career the greatest book I ever read and I still refer back to often is The Millionaire Next Door um so many amazing lessons about building wealth and becoming secure in, in, your, in your job. And uh, it's outdated uh, and, and needs to be revised. Actually, I think they did revise it a few years ago. I still got my old mm -hmm. uh, ruffled up copy from way back when. But, but so many valuable lessons can be found in it. I love little tidbits. Instead of a long, drawn-out story, I love the little, the little hot bites. And there, you can find so many of those in, in either of those books. Awesome. Thank I'm you. still trying to find the squirrel in highlights, so maybe after that I can get it on. Yeah, we're gonna get you. We're gonna get you upgraded here. So. <laughs> uh, okay, next one here for you. If you could have a billboard made and put anything you wanted on it, any saying that you want to get out to the public, what would that saying be? Wow, this is a good good question. Um, gosh, um, you know, if there's any message that I try to convey in business, it's it's just that I'm trustworthy. I don't know how I would put that on a, a billboard, but I live my life uh, making sure I treat people equally and, and uh, always tell the truth to anybody, no matter what. And uh, I guess if there's any, if there's any image that, uh, don't start with uh, uh, yeah, yeah. If there's any image I would ever want to portray. It's just the fact that you can trust me. And I, it's a, it's a, it, I'll speak to that. Yeah. You, like I said, I've, you were one of the first people that I kind of met in the office when we worked together and it's been that yeah. way ever since. So, yeah. all right. Last one. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you the question I hate getting asked the most. Oh, what's your spirit animal? My spirit animal. It's got to be a hawk. I, I've always, I, I've always identified with raptor birds. Yeah. Love I, it. I, I, I like hawks. Absolutely. I like eagles. I like them all. Bill, I cannot thank you enough. I greatly appreciate it. I appreciate you taking out the time to do this, getting, letting us pick your brain, ask you questions, stump you where we could, which we couldn't. So thank you so much for joining it's us. It's been a real pleasure. I appreciate it so much. Thank you so yeah. much, Bill. Hope, hopefully uh, the listeners and, and folks will gain something from our, our ramblings. <laughs> yeah. And like I said, if you want to hear more, you want to see more, he's constantly posting on, his, uh, on Facebook. Uh, he's got his company page, uh, Bill Jake's Realty, and his personal page where he'll give you information about history you can see you just did one about the new zones that they were kind of doing the city of murfreesboro kind of did their or rutherford county yeah, did their zone yeah they, the city of murfreesboro just released their new uh, future land use map so yeah that's something all realtor members really should familiarize themselves with if you want to know what an area is the city wants it to become look at their future use map 
Yeah, so he, he's always uh, willing to share info. You know, he's a great conversationalist, great storyteller. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Thanks, my friend. Thank you. That's going to do it for us. Tenants in Common. Thank you for listening to Tenants in Common. Find out more about the association and upcoming events at www.mtar.org. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MidTNRealtors. Duplication or publication of this podcast is strictly prohibited without the written consent of the Middle Tennessee Association of Realtors. Until next time.